with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, wherever we have gathered in your name, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I have perhaps never identified with my children as strongly as I did when I read our assigned reading from Second Peter this week. In a lot of ways, um, our kids are very different than we are. They are all three very outgoing and easily friendly with new people. Aya and I were never like that. Um, they're also just objectively loud in a way that neither of us are or ever were. I spent my childhood either away from home in a gym playing basketball or alone in my room reading. I'm not sure my parents would have ever heard my voice unless they asked me a direct question such as, when are you coming home from the gym or what are you reading? My kids are just a never-ending rotation of song singing, argument having, random shrieking, and constant shouting of the word yeet, whatever on earth that means. Actually, while preparing this sermon, I looked up the word yeet on UrbanDictionary.com for fear that I might be saying something inappropriate. And the definition is so ridiculous that I'd like to read it to you in its entirety. My kids are absolutely loving this, by the way. Best sermon ever. Yeet. To discard an item at high velocity. As in, Alex finishes his soda and proceeds to yeet his empty can into a trash bin. Alex while throwing the can. Yeet! So that's what I'm living with. Exclamations and things being discarded at high velocities. It's amazing that we can communicate at all. But here comes Peter in his second epistle to unify me with my kids. He's going to frustrate me just like I frustrate them. With the Lord, he says... One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Okay, that is frustrating. God not keeping his promise in a timely manner? The problem is you not God. You're just not understanding properly. He's not slow. He's patient. A thousand years are like one day. One day is like a thousand years. This frustrates me. And I, in turn, of course, frustrate my kids. This must be how they feel when they ask me if they can do something, watch a movie after dinner, go to the arcade, or now that I think about it, almost anything. And I say, well, we'll have to see if there's time or Maybe later. And as I reflect, I realize that I say that an awful lot. 
and that it indeed must be incredibly frustrating for them. Kids, with me, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like one day. I'm not slow as some think of slowness. We'll see. And of course, the kids see right through it and have started to say, as one of my children said to me just the other day, I'm going to go ahead and take that as a no. (laughs) To them, wait means no. And the same is often true for us, isn't it? It can be the thing that makes God asking us to wait so frustrating. I feel like this thousand years and one day thing is especially frustrating in light of Advent, this season of waiting. And all of these prophetic readings that we read in Advent, especially last week from Isaiah, as he looked forward to the coming of the Messiah to rescue God's people, Israel. How long do we wait? One day? A thousand years? More? And we can't just slough off the frustration as part of the before time waiting, can we? Part of just the waiting for the first coming of the Messiah, because our frustrating reading this morning is from a letter written by Peter, written after Jesus' birth, life, teaching, death, and resurrection. He's writing to people who are still waiting, waiting like us, in some sense, for God to keep his promises. Now, of course, as we talked about last week, Jesus has indeed come. He has lived and died and risen again, and God's promises have been kept. But this is Peter writing to a church that is waiting for Jesus to come again. These people are not waiting for Jesus to come and redeem the world. That's already happened. They're waiting for him to come again and to bring everything to completion. They're looking out the window again, like we talked about last week, looking at the world the way it is and wishing that God would come and make everything right. But we're still waiting and waiting. We're now in the year 2020, and we're still waiting. Things are still not as they should be. It's been 2,000 years. But of course, that's just two days to God. So the waiting is a frustration. But it is not the end of our story. Even in our frustrating readings this morning where a thousand years is like one day and one day is like a thousand years, even here there are comforting words, both in our reading from Second Peter and in our companion reading from the Gospel of Mark in which John the Baptist comes on the scene and announces that Jesus is about to appear. Now, in a way, these two ideas... The waiting for God to come on the one hand and the announcement that God in Christ has come on the other. The way we talked about these last week, if you recall, is a promise made and a promise kept. These two ideas echo God's two ways of speaking. Remember, he speaks to us in commandments and promises. And his most obvious word to us today is a commandment, right? It's a commandment version 
of the promise made that we symbolically live in in Advent. The word to us today is wait. Now that's a commandment and a particularly difficult one for us. We hate to wait because it makes us dependent. It makes us reliant on something outside of ourselves. Now, this is a commandment, but it is a commandment with a promise attached, right? We are waiting for something good to come. But to wait is a commandment nonetheless. Can we go to the arcade? Wait. Can we have dessert? We'll see. Is it Christmas yet? Wait. Can we go back to school soon? We'll see. Or how about more profound things? Will there be justice in the world? Wait. Will people love God and love their neighbor? We'll see. You can see how difficult this is. Wait. We'll see. Well, goodness gracious, we might ask ourselves, what's God waiting for? How long, O Lord, says the psalmist? When will the lion lay down with the lamb? What are you waiting for? And here, in our reading from 2 Peter, we have our answer. The apostle says this incredible thing. It's not that God just doesn't have a sense of the time, although it is true that he is outside time and space and that for God, he is not waiting long, that a thousand years is like one day. But what's actually going on here is that God is patiently giving sinful people time to repent, a chance to turn to him. The Lord is not slow about his promise, says Peter, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So Peter does begin with the commandment, right? Wait. And he's not done yet, actually. More commandments to come. He has some commandments for us to observe while we're waiting. Don't neglect, he instructs us, to be the people your God has called you to be, leading lives of holiness and godliness at peace, without spot or blemish. So wait, yes, but also wait in righteousness. This is God's holy call on our lives during this time of waiting. He's come once in Christ to save us, and he's coming again to take us home. And in the meantime, we are called to wait and to wait in righteousness. But, but remember that commandments are not God's only way of speaking. And they're not his final way of speaking either. They're not the final word here. Surrounding that command to wait 
in righteousness, wrapping it up on all sides and making it better news, is a reference to God's promise. God is not just making you wait in righteousness, Peter reminds us. He's actually being patient with you. He doesn't want you to perish. So he's waiting for sinners to come to repentance. Now, I think it's easy to get confused here. Have I come to repentance? We might ask ourselves. I prayed the sinner's prayer in junior high youth group. Does that count? We can easily get ourselves all twisted up, I think, thinking about whether God is waiting for us to come to repentance, which might worry those of us who think that we probably already have done that. Or is he waiting for other people to join us in repentance? But Peter here, I think, is talking both to us. He specifically says that God is patient with you, i.e. the Christians to whom he is writing, with you and me. But he's also talking to all. As in, God wants all to come to repentance. And this is where the one day is like a thousand years thing comes into play. You see, these two things, I think, are almost sort of on parallel timelines. The Christian life and repentance. They're all mixed together. A thousand years is like one day. One day is like a thousand years. Have we repented? Do we need to repent? Yes. Peter is not adding to the commandment here. He's not saying, wait in righteousness and figure out if you're someone who still needs to repent. I think that the waiting in righteousness is folded into repentance. That's what we're called to do. In fact, I'll go you one better. I think that the waiting in righteousness is repentance. Repenting is how you wait in righteousness. Repentance is the Christian life. Let me tell you what I mean. When John the Baptist emerges from the wilderness with his camel's hair and eating locusts, he calls the people to repent. Now, our reading this morning is from Mark, and it doesn't record the angry, violent version of his call. You know, the axe lying at the root of the trees. That stuff is in Matthew and Luke, but that's how it was. Remember, a happy advent, you brood of vipers. This is what John's call was like. And though it seems to be all commandment and judgment... That call to repentance, strident and frightening though it is, still comes explicitly wrapped in the context of the announcement of the good news about Jesus Christ. Here's how Mark records it. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the happy advent, you brood of vipers. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were coming out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, 
a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John gives two commandments. Repent and wait. But as he gives them, he makes sure the people know the good news too. He makes sure the people hear the promise of God. There is one who is coming who is greater than I am. He is Jesus, the Messiah, and he can actually take away your sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Like we said last week, this is the difference between a promise made and a promise kept. John says, someone is coming. And we know that someone, Jesus Christ, came. We see Christ's finished work. We see the veil of the temple torn in two and a Savior raised from the dead. John made sure to tell the people while they were waiting that they were waiting for someone specific. Something good, something great, and then something great actually happened. Jesus Christ came and accomplished our salvation. So now, our waiting has an end point. An end point and a redemption. This is what waiting looks like for us now with this posture of being able to look back, waiting while knowing the end. This is what Advent is for us. It is a repenting life. Strive, fall, repent, redemption. Strive, fall, repent, Redemption. This cycle of repentance is written into our liturgy. We are compelled to do it at least weekly, whether we feel like it or not. We will say together, Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses, which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for these, our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. And then we beg God for mercy for Jesus Christ's sake. And we ask him to grant that we may evermore serve and please him in newness of life. This is repentance. And then the announcement of redemption. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have 
mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us. And so we repentant sinners are. We are pardoned. We are redeemed. And when you say that confession with us, and we're going to do it here in just a minute, take the words to heart. They are powerful. Be so repentant. Receive the forgiveness of sins. For us, waiting in righteousness, as Peter calls us to do, means something as simple as coming to church, saying the words, and actually believing them. I acknowledge your lordship. I love your commandments. I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Make me new. Say it. Believe it. Every week. Every day. Every hour. This is how we wait. The Lord asks us to wait in righteousness. And so we strive for it. We pray. We read. We worship. We love. We honor We obey. We confess our sins and repent. We beg God every single week, every single day, every hour to have mercy. And we who have a bloody cross, an empty tomb, and a promise kept to look back on, we know that this mercy has indeed been poured out on us. There is indeed one greater than John who came. The world waited for him once, and he came. And we wait for him again. Sure, that in Jesus, and on account of his finished work for us, our waiting... Our very selves, souls and bodies, will be redeemed. God is not slow about his promise. He promised us redemption and eternal life in Christ. And by Christ's life, death and resurrection, that is exactly what he has accomplished for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.